And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, welcome to a new episode of Wizards After Dark. We are doing the same thing. If you listen to last week's episode, when I I did over and over unders with Ben Standig, we're doing the same deal here. So, if you are listening to this right when it comes out, it means I am on vacation still. Uh, but I am recording a few episodes to throw out while I'm out. Uh, we're recording this thing at the end of August, and uh, you know, nothing happens now during this time of of the NBA season, other than apparently a Lowry marketing sign and trade here and there. And so uh, we figure this thing will hold up and, uh, and, and, and meeting me today to talk about the Washington wizards who are, who are honestly interesting. And I think one of the more, one of, one of the stranger and more unpredictable teams in the league for the upcoming season, which is kind of what we're going to address on this podcast is, uh, a man who spends way too much time watching the Wizards, I would say, Dave DeFour. Yeah, um, I think that that's accurate. <laughs> I've probably spent too much time watching just about every team, but yeah, the Wizards, it, I don't know. They're just so weird that they're fun to watch. It's it's odd. And, you know, now that they don't have Ish Smith anymore, I, I don't know that I'll see him as much, you know. That's my guy, but... uh yeah, dude, probably watch too much Wizards. It's all right. There are worse ailments in the world. I watch too much oh, Wizards for sure. too. Yeah. I'm willing to bet that if you're listening to this podcast in September, before training camp has even started, then you probably watch too much Wizards also. So I think I think we're probably all in the same boat right now. Oh, yeah. That actually, that's about right. <laughs> and it's not necessarily sad because, you know, we're all in it together, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it can be miserable. So not sad. So what I wanted to do on the podcast today is uh, one one of my favorite annual podcasts that 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 kind of happens annual podcast that happens annually. That's how you know my brain is in off season mode right now. One of my favorite uh, recurring podcasts that happens annually is uh, the episode of the Low Post where Kevin Arnovitz comes on and he and Zach Lowe talk about their five most confusing teams. Coming into the season, you always find it so great because it's these two guys who just know the league as well as two, you know, any other reporters who are out there. And uh, I think it's a great vessel for them to talk about. All right, well, I I know this, I know this, and I know this, but it just doesn't really match up, and I don't know how this is going to turn out. I can't figure it out, and it's just a great vessel to talk about teams. So I want to do the Wizards podcast version of that. And uh, Dave, I thought you'd be perfect. You're my you're my Kevin Arnovitz to to this pod right now. <laughs> I want to talk about the okay. Just I just want to throw out the most confusing Wizards things, and uh, you know I feel like we we each have have some of them. We haven't run it by each other, and uh, I I just thought it would be a good thing to discuss and uh, a nice way. Maybe maybe we can talk some stuff out. Be a little bit less confused by the end of this episode. 
Absolutely. So, so I know, yeah. I know you got like some stuff. Idea. Let's let's get right into it. What's a what what's a confusing wizards thing? And and by the way, there are um, no parameters yeah. for confusing wizards thing. It could be anything. Whatever you want to define right. as confusing wizards thing, then it's a confusing wizards thing. Um, I think the big one is just which direction to go, because it's pretty, pretty obvious to me that you've got the Spencer Dinwiddie, Bradley Beal direction, or you've got the Rui and Denny direction, right? It's, it's either you're trying to contend to some degree, or you're trying to kind of build for the future. I don't think that those guys are going to be ready to, to contribute to a contender in the next two years. Which, if you're the Wizards, you you kind of want to try to get into that window now. So, I think that's the confusing thing is that maybe there wasn't some movement this summer to try to add another guy, right? Getting KCP was cool. I, I think that's a great move, and I I love the Spencer Dinwiddie move. Um, but maybe they could have used those pieces, those younger pieces that they've got, to augment this roster a little bit. And maybe improve it out of that play-in range, which is kind of where they were and where I think that they still are. Yeah. I mean, I think, honestly, that's been a confusing Wizards thing for at least a couple of years. Right? Mm -hmm. More than that. You know, the varying versions of that question have just been around the Wizards for a really long time. What what is the direction? And uh, you know what? Not even what is the direction, but will they pick a direction uh, because they are they're They're right in the middle of want to keep Beal, want to try to win with Beal, but there also has to be some kind of safety net. You can't trade Rui and Denny and Kispert and every possible first rounder that you could possibly trade in order to get back some very good player just so Beal leaves and then you're stuck with that guy. You, you, you can't put yourself in that position. So you're kind of stuck with, okay, want to try to win with Bradley Beal. Want to try to make some shrewd moves around him. Bring in Spencer Dinwiddie. Bring in Kyle Kuzma. Bring in Contavious Caldwell-Pope. See if you can compete to get into the top six. But really, if we map it out as two non, a non-bias you know, onlookers from the outside, they're more play-in range than they are top six. I think it's going to be really mm-hmm. hard Either either a couple teams are going to have to really fall off for them to get into the top six, or they're going to have to be much better than than I anticipate them being uh, in order to get into the top six in the East. I think the top six in the East is really good, and it's really crowded, uh, and, and so that's just it's going to be really hard, I think, for them to avoid the play-in. So so yeah, I mean the the direction picking has been a Wizards thing. It's been a Wizards theme for quite a quite a long time, quite a while, and. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think you can like what they did this offseason. I think you can understand their offseason strategy. I think you can appreciate the individual moves. Uh, and I think you can also say, all right, they're still kind of in the middle. Like, I think both of those things can be true. It doesn't have to be a condemnation of they have to do something. They have to trade Beal or they have to trade everything they possibly can for Damian Lillard. Like, it doesn't have to be one of those two extremes. Uh, but, but they're, they're, I mean, this is kind of where they are. They're still kind of treading, you know? Yeah. And uh, this is a team where like, you know, if everything goes well, maybe they are the sixth seed, you know, uh, but it'd have to go really, really well. I, I just don't know that they've, 
they've got the juice for it. Because like you said, the East got better. It's going to be tough. Like the Knicks are going to be in that play-in range. Yeah, it's and it's possible you have to win 50 games to get the sixth seed this year. I mean, yeah, for sure. Mil- Boston's kind of been written off, but I think Boston had a decent offseason compared to, you know, how we left them. Yeah, I mean, look, you got you got Milwaukee's winning 50. Philly is winning 50. Oh yeah. Brooklyn is Brooklyn. winning 50. Miami is winning 50. I think you can Probably. make a really good argument. Atlanta. Yeah, if Atlanta wins 50, no one's surprised. Boston could win 50. The Knicks could win yep. 50. That's six right there. Yeah, the Knicks could. I don't think the Knicks can. I don't think the yeah, Knicks Yeah, you're probably can. right. They're probably more of a low 40s team. Uh, yeah, I think they're 45 wins, you know, 43 to 45 wins. Yeah. It's, it's a decent team. I, I think that they outperformed yeah. that roster last my, season. My, my prediction is not that the Knicks win 50, but there are yeah. there are a few teams it. around that range where it's like, yeah, they might they might win forty five or forty seven. That means you got to win forty six or forty eight in order to top them. I mean, you might have to get damn close to fifty wins, and that that wouldn't be the first time in recent Eastern Conference history. I mean, there have been six seeds in recent no. years with like forty eight wins, and uh, you know, sure. in the West, but, we've seen fifty be an eight seed. But the Bulls got better. Charlotte's probably going to be better. I mean, Lamelo year two. What's that going to look like? And Miles Bridges year two, my friend. Oh, or yeah. not year two, year three. But year three, right? Um, I again, I I think that they're in that play-in range, and it's just interesting to me to keep the powder dry when I have to think that they're. I mean, I don't know. You're you're you cover the team. If they put. Rui on the on the block or if they put Denny on the block I mean what kind of stuff do you think that they're going to get in return I'm not sure I mean Rui is interesting because there are some people out there who really like him and then there are some Mm -hmm. people out there who are like really down on him and if you if the Wizards really believe in him which I think they do then I think you kind of have to hold on to him because he's going to do more for you. But he's going to be extension eligible next year. You know what? This is a good transition because this gets into one of my, one of mine, which is, what is Rui? I've seen him for two years. Yeah. I've seen every single minute he has played as a pro. Literally. I have seen every single second that he has played in an official NBA game as a professional. I have watched it. Every single one. I'm not totally sure exactly what kind of career he's going to have. I, I I know what he is now, but I'm not totally sure. Uh, you know, people, I, I think it all starts with two things. I think it starts with quick decision making, which I've ranted about on this podcast so many times, and, and also a handle, which he doesn't have right now. You know, people talk about yeah. how good he is in the mid-range, and he is really good in the mid-range, but he's not really able to get there on his own beyond a pump fake, a hard close out, and going one dribble in. He, he's he got a really right. high, loose handle. And when you look at guys who make leaps, especially at that size, and they make a significant leap, whether it's from being okay to being good, good to being very good, very good to being great, especially very good to being great. You look at those guys who make those leaps, 
often it's because they just they they improve their handle to such a degree that it allowed them to create more space to do the things they were able to do. For example, right. Bradley Beal opening up his game. Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown, 100%. Paul George. Paul George had like such a loose handle when he was, you know, third year in the league, even when he won most improved player. Such a loose handle. He improved his handle. That, that second year in Oklahoma City when he just went off and finished third in MVP voting, so much better. Giannis, man. Giannis is a great example. Yeah. Uh, all, all these guys, guys of that size, it, you improve your handle. You're you're able to create so much more for yourself. You're able to go from point A to point B. And right now, Rui will like go through the legs randomly, and it just takes him nowhere. He's just standing in the same spot after he went right. through the legs. You know, it doesn't doesn't do anything. And the thing with Beal, which I think is really interesting, is I think he is a great example of somebody who improved the practicality of his handle. He has no flashy moves with the ball. You never see Beal cross somebody over and put them on their ass and then, you know, embarrass somebody for a highlight. It just doesn't really happen. But his handle is so tight, he doesn't lose it, and he's just it just gets him from point A to point B. He is and he's quick enough to to where when he has the ball, he just controls it on a string and he wants he's standing here and he wants to go there. And his handle is now good enough to where it is able to get him there. Uh, and 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 that's the kind of development I think you're going to have, amongst a few other things that I think you're going to have to see from Rui too. But I don't know. I just don't know what he's going to end up being. And if he's a third or fourth option this year, which he's going to be a lot of the time, all right, how how will he progress in that role? You know, because right now he has the game of someone who needs to be a first option, but not the skill level of someone who needs to be a first option. And, uh, you know, I, I get why the people who like him like him as much as they do. But I just I I just am not 100 percent certain which way he's going to go. And especially with him being extension eligible heading into next season, the 2022, 23 season. This is this is a pivotal season, not just for him, but but for the organization to really assess what they believe he's going to be. And I don't know what he's going to be worth in an extension. I, I don't know what he might be worth on the market because he he can be kind of polarizing. And I don't even really know what he's going to become. It's just it's it's uh it it's it's confusing. Would he be a starter on a good team to you, like right now? It, it would have to be a specific fit. Yeah. It would have to be a really specific fit. Like maybe Utah, he could start because they need a wing defender. Even though he's not all that great, he's big enough that he can be a facsimile of, of good enough. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because Utah has really good team defense. So they could right. they could cover up you know, his, his issues as a team defender. The other thing with, with Rui's team defense, and, and this does, doesn't go just for Rui. It goes for a number of other wizards. And it's a thing that I don't really know as much. And it was a thing I always wondered about, say Troy Brown as well is Uh when you are playing, when you're a young player and you're playing inside a bad defense with other bad defenders who are often out of position, you start to create bad habits for yourself. 
And and even if you're not creating long-term bad habits, even if those bad habits come away as soon as you get out of the bad situation uh, and, and, and you go to being some excellent team defender, it just makes right. you look worse in the moment. It, it stunts your growth in the moment, uh, even if you don't create those habits for the rest of your career. And it's really, really, really hard to jump from college defense to NBA defense. It's why we see almost no rookies being impactful defensive players. Every once in a while, you get a Matisse Thibel. Guys like that are the exception, not the rule. Even guys who become really, really great defenders for their whole careers are usually not even average as rookies. It's just really hard to adjust to the pace of the game and, and the speed and the size and the athleticism and and the the actions because coaches are better at this level and it's just so much more difficult. And Rui has been playing inside a defensive system that's been remarkably flawed for his first two seasons with a lot of other really young players who are also defensively flawed. And that can compile and and make you look worse than you are. So so yes, right now we think of Rui as as a as a subpar team defender because he's been caught in the wrong place. But you know, new coach, bunch of new players around him. Is he gonna look different? I mean, it's I don't think he's all of a sudden gonna, you know, look like uh you know, Thaddeus Young, just out there in the right place every every single time you check on him. But is he better than we've seen the first two years? Is he is he going to make some sort of intellectual leap? Uh, you know, I just I I don't really know. I, I'm not totally sure. Well, again, so back to back to my question, right? Is he a starter on a good team? I I just don't think so. Not right now, and that tells you quite a bit after two seasons about his value. I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah. And cause he is a weird player. I mean, he, he probably is a four, but I, I just, he doesn't do enough of the stuff you need fours to do defensively to trust him to be that guy, especially for the wizards. I think, you know, with, with, with all the help they need defensively. Um, but his value is weird. It's, I think it's, if they were shopping him, we might, you could get maybe a first round pick and, and a decent player for him, or maybe they get no offers. It's, it's weird. I mean, it, even him being drafted where he was, I heard multiple teams loved him or hated him. There was no middle ground on him. I know it's very true. I don't think they would get no offers. I think they'd get offers. Because there are still people oh, I, who really like so, him. And there are smart sure. people who really like him. You know, there are really smart people who I respect the hell out of who think he's really, really good or is going to be really, really good. And there are a lot of people who I think would bet on that potential. But to what degree? I don't know. Like, yeah, I, maybe you can get a first round pick for him. But I don't think you're getting like an unprotected first round pick from a bad team. That would shock me. I don't think that's happening. You might get a lottery protected first. Uh, but, you know, I just, I, I also like, is that a trade the Wizards are going to do? That just kind of sets them back, you know? Doesn't do anything, right? right. You'd, you'd rather have the player who's, who's at least okay. Right. You know, if you're going to include him, yeah, if you're going to include him in a, in a Miles Turner deal, you know, I don't know. I don't know how the Pacers feel about him. You know, I mean, that's, that's that's like the type of trade that I think maybe makes more sense. 
you know, I I don't know how much the Wizards value him at again when when they have to pay him in you know one year if they choose to extend or or two years if he hits restricted free agency. You know, the clock is not going on. Oh man, you have to make a decision on whether you want to trade Rui or not now. But the clock is going in that like it's got to be if you're the Wizards, it's got to be in your mind. Okay, how do we value him? You know, these things move quick in the NBA with those rookie contracts, you know, like you got to be thinking, OK, OK, how how do we value him and what do we think he's going to want? And if those numbers are really far apart, then we have to try to figure out how we want to handle that. And that's that's something that I'm sure they and any other organization in a situation like this has thought of. I don't know how it's going to go. I mean. I, I guess I shouldn't say I don't know how it's going to go. I, I guess the Wizards are going to want to hold on to Rui. I, I think that's the case. Uh, but I don't know what it's going to look like. And again, the, the development could go in a couple different directions. He he got a little better last year. I think the on-ball defense got a little feistier. Uh, I think mm-hmm. his finishing around the rim got a little more physical, uh, a little more confident. Uh, the jump shot certainly looked a little bit better, a little more arc on that. Oh, that mid-ranger. I mean, you mentioned the mid ranger, and I mean that's a that's a legit shot for him. That off the one dribble though, mm-hmm. but that is a legit shot for him. And it, when he can get there, he's got pretty good touch on it. Yeah, yeah, made made some passes that he probably wouldn't have made as a rookie. But it's not like he made mm-hmm. some some ginormous leap. I think he was he. The thing is, he was still the same player, just a slightly better version of that player. So. Absolutely. We'll see where he goes. What 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 else you got? No. Uh, what was your weird thing? Oh, my weird thing. My or my confusing thing was Rui. Oh, the okay. So you you piggybacked on mine. I okay. thought we were right. uh, thought we were rotating here. What about? Oh, how about the center? Yeah, let's talk about the center. I, I mean, look, Gafford's going to be the guy day one. I'm assuming. Um, but what happens when Thomas Bryant comes back? And you've got this, you know, you've got Gafford, who is clearly your best defensive option and decent rim runner. You've got Montrez Harrell, who is a fantastic rim runner. And then you've got Thomas Bryant, who can space the floor and, and actually open things up for them and create some space, which they're going to be uh, struggling for, uh, I'll, I'll say, uh, until he comes back. So where do you go there in the middle? And and to add everything to that, Thomas Bryant's in the last year of his deal, and he's unrestricted after this year. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. So that's another place where they have to make a decision on a young player. Thomas Bryant is, he just turned 24. He's still young. 24? Yeah, he, just turned 24. He was He was looking good. He was looking really good before he got hurt. Yeah, he was. He is... Here's the thing. Thomas Bryant's defense is a problem. But he is so insanely efficient that there is a place for him to contribute to good basketball in this league. He is so unbelievably efficient offensively. And other than taking the occasional mid-range shot that I don't love from him, and it's not like he's bad from mid-range. He's a 40-something percent mid-range shooter. I just I I he takes him too early in the shot clock sometimes and takes him off balance sometimes and I'm not necessarily a fan of those. 
But it's not like he's a bad mid-range shooter or something. He's actually quite a good mid-range shooter. But if he's going to shoot 41% from three, like he has over 50, 56 games over the last two years, and if he's going to shoot literally 70% on twos, give or take, like literally 70%, that's not 70% at the rim. That's 70% on twos. That includes his mid-range shots. That includes his right. floaters. That includes everything. That includes his little eight-footers. That That is everything. He is 70 He's around 70% on twos. Like that is that is a real thing. That is if that's what he's going to do. I mean, there's there's a place for him. So he was he was 71% on twos last year, 63% on twos the year before and 69% on twos the year before that. I, that 43% from 3 last year, 41% from 3 the year before. I mean, he, if that's what he's going to do. He was he had a 65 43 shooting line last year, 70% effective field goal percentage. If, if this is that, you know, that's obviously a small sample. He got hurt. Uh, but if he's really going to keep up at this level and, and we've got, that's a small sample just last year, but it's not like that was a fluke. That was just in line with what he's been doing. If, if that's what he's going to do, if he's going to be 65 to 70% on twos, if he's going to be literally 75 to 80% at the rim, which is what he just does every year now, and he's going to shoot 40 something percent from three, like that's a guy, you know, that's a, that's a, yeah. that's a real player. Especially for them, because it's not like you're playing any defense anyway. <laughs> so you, you, maybe you want to just score a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, so what do you do? Let's say let's say Thomas Bryant for the sake of argument. Let's say Thomas yeah. Bryant comes back. He's he's the exact same player that he was before the injury. He's no better, he's no worse. His defense is exactly the same. He's putting up these crazy efficiency numbers. He looks great in the pick and roll with Beal. He's, you know, popping and, you know, he was popping off for three, four threes in a game every once in a while. And, and he's having these lines where he's 10 for 13 from the field with 19 points and eight boards and whatever else, uh, you know, he's getting pushed around by the bigger centers on defense. What do you do? And Gafford, let's say looks like he did last year, but is able to play 25 to 30 minutes instead of just 20 this time around. How do you oh, handle it? I was going to say, well, luckily Gafford can only play like 18 yeah. to 20 minutes. <laughs> right. So it kind of solves its itself. Um, you know, I, I think you you start Thomas Bryant. I, I you know it's an offense heavy league. Your offense is so much more important than your defense, and I think that you have to go with your best foot forward. So yeah, I would start Thomas Bryant, and you know maybe Gafford plays himself into more minutes because he, you know he expands his offensive game some. But uh, I'm not anticipating that. I, I think you start Thomas Bryant. He gives you the best chance to be able to score at a high rate which they're going to have to do because they don't have any good individual defenders except for KCP. And he's, you know, I think a really good individual defender, even better team defender when you've got other good defenders on the team, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, I think you just lean in on that offense, man. Space the floor, make Bradley Beal look good. Get him into the all-star game. Hope you make the play in. Run it back next year run it back well they didn't run it back this year i'll tell you that much no that's true i mean listen man i i think that you you look at those trades I, we talked about this uh at some point uh 
not too long ago. But you look at having that John Wall contract and what that has turned into, and that's a success story. From an asset management perspective, they did a really good job there. No question. I don't think there's anybody in the league who disagrees with you on that, except for maybe John Wall. <laughs> Might be the only one. Yeah, maybe. Might be the only one. Probably. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Uh, yeah. I, I got one and I want to get your take on this one. Okay. Uh Oh, what's the deal with Aaron holiday? Uh, I thought he had a down year <laughs> last year. And so here's, here's why I phrase it this way. Here's why I phrase it in my Seinfeldian phrasing. Uh, so the wizards include holiday in the Westbrook trade. That's like a Thursday night draft day inclusion. It wasn't done because they needed that salary to make the deal work from a you know matching salary sort of perspective. It was done because they wanted to bring in Aaron Holiday, right? And the same right. day they bring in Aaron Holiday, they resign, uh, or I should say, uh, the same day the trade completes with Spencer Dinwiddie, they resign Howell Neto. And they knew from the onset, and I said it on this podcast a million times, I thought Neto would be back. They loved Neto last year. They wanted to bring him back. They have a ton of rotation players, and maybe this is just depth, but I imagine, now they have Neto for the minimum, so whether Neto plays or doesn't play, you know, it's it's a good signing. If he's your third point guard, plays like he did last year, I mean, that's obviously a fantastic value at the edge of your roster, but with the way Neto played last year compared to the way Aaron Holiday played last year, if they replicate their production from the season before, and, you know, Neto maybe isn't a super high minute player and he, he obviously has injury issues as well in his in his history. But I think Neto had a, is coming off a better season. And, and if I had to pick one, I would say Neto is the better player. The Wizards traded down from 22 to 31 in that that part of the Indiana deal. For trading down from 22 to 31, it got the Marin Holiday. Now, maybe they just wanted to take Isaiah Todd at 22 and they thought we could move back. We could scoop up something else. Let's do it. And now we can get him on a second round contract sure. as opposed to a number 22 overall pick contract. But that being said, if I'm going to go Occam's razor, the most obvious solution is or the most obvious. Uh, what is it? The most obvious answer is probably the correct one. So if I'm going to go Occam's right. razor on this, they believe that Aaron Holiday is worth the difference between the 22nd and the 31st pick. Which means they think that Aaron Holiday sure. is worth some amount of positive value, but where where does he fit into this? I mean, it's going to be hard for them to I mean, play he's a fourth guard, right? I, fourth? Is he? I mean, it, I guess that depends on how many minutes yeah. you play KCP at the three. Yeah, you know. Well, he. I mean, he was the third point guard, right? He's the third point guard in Indy. 
and he's the third point guard here. Right. And, assuming no, that's what he's he was in Indy. Uh, you got yeah, you got Beal, you got Dimwitty, you got Neto, you got KCP. I mean, I think I would assume that if KCP is going to play the backup two when Beal is on the bench, which I think you have to because you're you're loaded up at forward. And and again, you know, this is not a bad thing to have a lot of guys who can possibly play. That's a good thing. I'm just trying to work this out where it's like, okay, I focused on the forward so much. Where are they going to play? But you trade it down from 22 to 31 to net Aaron Holiday. So so they have to see something in Aaron Holiday. You don't do that trade if you just think Aaron Holiday is not going to play and be a third point guard and a 14th man. That's not a trade you do. I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe they see him as like a tenth man, you know. Um, but he's a theoretical shooter. Like he he makes some shots, but he doesn't take a lot of them. So theoretically, he can shoot threes. So maybe he's a guy that you can use situationally uh, at, at, in a backup spot where you want a shooter. Um, but yeah, I I don't know, man. He was a guy that I thought was going to be a high end backup coming into the league. I just thought he would walk into that almost like Jalen Brunson, you know? Um, but yeah, it hasn't really panned out and I'm not really sure why. I mean, he got outplayed by TJ McConnell in Indy that, that like legitimately happened. TJ McConnell had a great year. I last don't really year. think. Yeah, absolutely. He was fantastic, but I, I just don't think Aaron holiday is really moving any needles. I think how Neto is better and he's going to play more. Um, I think maybe Aaron Holiday is just cheap insurance in case, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie needs to have some games off here and there. Maybe. And maybe that's what it is. I So maybe he's like the 11th guy. Maybe. I just, I feel like you can make that deal. You know, I, I feel like you can get a player like that without moving from 22 to 31. But maybe this was more about Isaiah Todd than anything else, and Aaron Holiday was gravy. Maybe they they were like twenty two. We take Isaiah Todd. You know that happens. So they figured let's move back nine spots. If they took Isaiah Todd at twenty two, we'd be saying, "Man, why didn't they move back?" So there you go. They they could have picked up a cheap backup point guard if they moved yeah. back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fill a roster spot. Exactly. No, I mean, that's why I'm like, this isn't a criticism. It's just a confusing thing where it's like I that trade, the context of that trade implies to me that you to some degree like Aaron Holiday and uh, and he will be some kind of contributor to you. But I, I feel like he's really, really at the back, not at the back of the rotation. Like he is he is on the bench. Like to me, when I look at it, he's in. He's much closer to he's closer to the Anthony Gill category than he is to the Howell Neto category. So we'll see. That's yeah. my personal analysis. I don't know how it's going to turn out. That's why I say confusing. This is all about things I yeah. don't know. There's so many things I don't know. It's extraordinary. Well, we're not supposed to know them. I mean, it's the end of August. So we we shouldn't know them at this point. If we knew them. We wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. That's true. I haven't solved basketball yet. No. What else? What else do you not know? You got anything else? Good grief, man. I, I mean, I think half the battle in life is knowing what you don't know. So it's it's a long list. Uh, with the Wizards, 
I mean, what, how's this how's this team going to be coached? Do you have any any inside info on that? Sure. Uh, you know, it's funny because whenever you talk to a coach leading into a season, especially a first time one, there are all these buzzwords. Oh, it sounds so good because I, I think what's uh, what's funny is, is, you know, you hear great things about Wes Unsell Jr. You really hear exclusively great things about him. And when he talks, you're like, OK, well, that sounds really good. You know, that's your OK. Your plan is you want Beal to take fewer pull up jumpers. And you're telling me that the second spectrum data says that he shot poorly on pull up threes last year. And then I checked the second spectrum data and he shot poorly on pull up threes last year. And you're going to try to find ways that he takes fewer of those and you can use him more running off dribble handoffs and get him more in spots where he's more comfortable. It's like those things sound great. You know, who would who would ever disagree with any of those things? I think what's funny is, you know, knowing what you're supposed to, what you what you want your team to do as a coach is very different than being able to implement it. You know, I think I think the public often underestimates how much, you know, a coach who they don't like underestimates how much that coach actually knows about basketball and often how much of that team playing poorly or that team executing poorly has to do with the coach's implementation of what he wants them to do as opposed to the coach's original desires of what he wants them to do. You know what I mean? And so I think uh, oh, for sure. Unseld's desires, and you've coached, so you know this a million times better sure. than me. Uh, you know, what Unseld says Sounds great. And we've we've seen him implement some some pretty great stuff as uh, you know, an assistant in Denver. But when you're an assistant, it's different than being a head coach. And different people get coached differently, different players get coached differently. You know, I, I don't I don't know how it's how it's gonna look. I mean, I think it sounds great. He he wants to have fewer of the one pass and no pass possessions than they did last year. And I know they were twenty seventh in passes per game. Last year, uh, he wants more of an egalitarian sort of offense, more motion. I wouldn't be surprised. But look, Scott Brooks wanted that. It's not like Scott Brooks didn't want that. Look at what happened the year that Wall got hurt. All of a sudden, the Wizards are moving the ball. Beal is moving like a like a maniac around screens. They're they're like by far first in the league in dribble handoffs, which Brooks was obsessed with that stat. Uh you know, that's that's what he wanted all along. It was it was the implementation that that just kind of failed, you know? So I just don't really know how it's gonna be implemented, how it's gonna look, how it's gonna be communicated. But I mean, you're right. That's that's a thing that, that we can uh hypothesize about. But in terms of just like picking out the details of what kind of coverages are they gonna run and how are players gonna respond to unselled, you don't you don't know till you see it. I mean, and and you gotta just coach the personnel that you're given too, right? Like this isn't it's not like football where it's like guy comes in, here's my system. Now get me players, you know, with basketball, you got to like figure this stuff out with the team, which is to me is a good thing because you, you don't get over coaching like you do in college basketball where, I mean, we see the coach's personality on the court a lot more than the players. I think one of the things that's so great about basketball is the artistry of the individual player, that's allowed to come out, you know, you get this, this really amazing creativity. Uh, and I think the NBA, because of, you know, having to coach the players to your system versus 
fit them into your system uh, kind of gives us a little bit of that. And so I, I'm, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we just see a ton of carryover from what they've been doing because so much of the personnel has already been there. Um, and, and then it's going to be, you know, probably see a little bit more high pick and roll than, than even last year. I mean, the DHOs aren't going anywhere, right? No, no way. No way. Yeah. I just wrote so, a whole thing about that. <laughs> no way. I'm not surprised. No way. I mean, look, he's coming over from the Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray DHO. He knows the value of right. a DHO. Yeah. Also, so, so I, I, I wrote that, I wrote you know. I wrote a story about that in August and uh I you know I had spoke to, I spoke to Unseld specifically about that, you know, what he learned from the Jokic Murray DHOs that maybe he could translate to Beal. And I the the lead of that story is uh Wes Wes Unseld Jr. has seen what a good screen action looks like or knows the value of a good screen action or something like that. Somebody went in the comments and commented on it. Uh, yeah, think about all the screens. The, think about all the value of screening that Wes, Wes Unsell probably learned growing up. Think about who Wes Unsell Jr.'s dad is. Like the ultimate, I am going to screen the living hell out of you guy to the point that that entire mentality got him to the Hall of Fame. Uh, so he, uh, yeah, I think I think any sort of creative screening action stuff is 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 probably probably increasing this this upcoming season if he gets what he wants. That'll be fun. I'm excited for that uh, defense. You know, it's who cares? It, it's going to be bad. How many how many above average defenders do the Wizards have? If we're just talking in a vacuum, name them: Gafford, um, KCP. Neto? I don't know, man. Uh sure. Yeah. Neto. Maybe maybe just those three. Kuzma's good. Yeah, oh yeah, Kuzma. I, I always forget that Kuzma's on the team because I kept, I was expecting him to get flipped. Um yeah, Kuzma's good. And that's about it. Yep. It's more than last that's year. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Now Dinwiddie, by the way, I mean, just just being a big body helps him quite a bit. But that's not a guy you're going to stick on the opposing team's best player. I, I think KCP is going to be that a lot. Mm -hmm. That's not great. See, I'm I'm a big believer that regular season defense is less about having really good defenders and more about yeah. not having really bad defenders. 100%. And the Wizards still have some guys who are really bad defenders. Uh, you know, they're going to be playing Bertans. If Bryant makes no progression or what is what he was two years ago, you know, I think he could he could hit that that level. Harrell could be at that level. Rookie Kispert as a rookie could be at that level. We'll see if he plays. That's another thing that could be confusing. What kind of role is Corey Kispert going to have this year? But we've done a lot of role based stuff. Uh, you know, they have they've got Beal is a guy who's who's been, you know, really detrimental defender for the last three seasons. So they 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 have a lot of. It's they have more above average defenders than they did last year. If KCP was on last year's team, he would have been their best perimeter defender. Same with Kuzma. And uh, you know, Gafford gave them a, a real in you know, a real infusion. And and he's a very 
low floor, high ceiling defender, right? Like he'll bite at pump fakes and have bad fouls, but then absolutely just scare the crap out of guys coming into the lane because he blocked three consecutive shots on three straight possessions. You know, he's just very high floor, right. low or very high ceiling, low floor, I should say, uh, in terms of just play to play what he's able to do. Uh, but it's it's weird because they, they still have those those potentially really detrimental defenders and they could be they could piece together lineups with with good defenders if that's their prerogative. I could see the bench being okay defensively. Uh and they could piece together some lineups that could get absolutely trounced defensively. I I'd expect them to get trounced more often than not. Where do you think they are in Because defense? again, they, like if I if I if you have to man. pick where is this team in points per possession or points allowed per possession at the end of the year? Where are you saying? I mean, they're bottom five, probably. Really? It, but if they could be like, if they could, if they could get to like twentieth, what were they last year? Weren't last they, year they were twentieth. Okay, okay. I don't know why I thought they were worse last because year because they they had that they had that, that nice run at the end of the atrocious. yeah they were twenty ninth right uh, two years ago twenty right. seventh the year the, before the last. That. Two, the last two seasons are just one big yeah. season to me. Uh, Remember, they had that know, nice run um, at the end of last year where they were 10th true. in defense yeah. over the last two months or something like that. Right. So I don't expect that again. Um, but, it, man, if they, if they can be the 20th ranked defense and a top 10 offense, you know, is that is that out of the question for them? The, the guys who shoot threes are really going to have to make their threes for them to be a top 10 offense. Yeah. Yeah. I, top 15 more realistic. I probably. would be surprised if they were a top 10 offense. The guys who shoot, you know, yeah. KCP, he's going to have to take more than four Kuzma. and a half threes a game. Kuzma's going to have to. Kuzma's going to have to play. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Rui is going to have to shoot 35% on four attempts. Bertans is going to have yeah. to be what he was two years ago. Possible. Beal can't shoot 35% again. You know, if if all those guys jump up, okay, now we're talking. I think what's going to prop their offense up is is the guards. Yeah, I think they're going to be really good at getting to the free throw line. I think that's that's something that's going to help their offense a lot and is going to keep them out from potentially being a legitimately bad offense. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but you know, we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Like, it's I would say they're more like in the middle of the pack range on offense. That's fair. Right? You think that you think there's a way they get into the top 10? There are a lot of good offenses. No, probably probably not. Probably not. I, I they don't have the shooting. This is just, you know, let's say everything works out for them. 20th defense, 15th offense. I mean, they're playing team again. Sure. I have I have one more confusing thing. Okay. How the hell do they handle the deadline? And this ties back to your original confusing thing is what's their direction? Right. But how does this team handle the trade deadline? Because we're talking about all of this overloaded roster stuff, right? Which where's Aaron holiday fit is Kispert going to play is, you know, which of the forwards are going to play, which of the three centers are going to play. And they kind of have all this quantity, but it's not like they're overloaded with quality. It's, it's not a bad thing to have quantity. It's only a bad thing to have quantity. If you have quantity, because you're giving out bad contracts, 
you know, if you're if you're bringing back Howell Neto for the minimum, if you're bringing in a bunch of solid players on reasonable contracts in exchange for Westbrook, you know, there's there's no problem paying 13 million a year for KCP. That's fine. He's worth 13 million a year. Kuzma's a a good, Absolutely. competent rotation player. I no problem paying him that money. Hey, these these are fine things, but they just they have a lot of quantity. And if you could tie up that quantity, because it at the deadline, you know, people, for example, you just kind of mentioned that you figured Kuzma would get flipped. And a lot of people thought that. And and I I wondered the same. But but when you really think into it, does he have more value now getting flipped? Or does he have more value during the season when some team is dealing with injuries? Some team is going to have a lot of injuries and two guys who are having bad years. And they're going to be a good team. And they're going to need a forward. And they can't just go out and sign a forward, sign a forward because it's January and they're not able to do it. And that's when the price of a Kuzma or a KCP or a Neto or any anybody else in, in these conversations, like that's when the price starts to become more interesting. And that's when the quantity can actually be helpful for somebody else. Oh, my goodness. We lost two players. Our, our rotation only goes seven deep. We just need two more competent players who can actually help an NBA team win. And the Wizards are like, well, we got like 13 of those. What do you want? Let's do a two for one or three for one deal, which is tougher to do in season because teams have roster limits and all that stuff. But it's doable. You find ways to do it. Uh, yeah. And 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 I just I wonder if they go that route. I wonder if they try to add all all I you know, there's also all of this that ties back to what's Bradley Beal want to do? Is he telling them still he wants to stay? Is he telling them he doesn't know, uh, you know, where the Wizards in the standings at this point? I just I think there's a pretty good chance that no matter where the Wizards are, that they're going to be like one of the teams that we're talking about from a national scope at the trade deadline because of the way this roster is configured. I think they're going to be really, really interesting for like the front office nerds. Probably. I mean, they've been able to sneak in on some stuff. So I think, I don't know, man. I, I think they've done a pretty good job. And, and the weirdness is just sort of being, they are caught in the middle. Truthfully. Like, I, I think that they would even maybe admit that. But what are you going to do right now? You, you, It's too early to make a decision either way. So I guess... It's confusing, but I also understand is kind of where we've wound up. You understand that you that they don't understand. Yeah, I get it, because if Bradley Peel asks out, OK, now our decision's been made. No question. You got anything else or are we wrapping this thing? No, let's wrap it. It's the Wizards. We we went an hour on the Wizards dude, in August. Dude, I go an hour on the Wizards every day. I just sit around on the couch having podcasts in my head by myself. Oh my gosh. Uh, you need a vacation. <laughs> this is, you know no I don't. This is my life. This is this is what I do. This is what I was born to do. I was, I was born to sit around thinking about the Wizards. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh you, uh, I would ask you if you have anything to plug, but this thing is actually running like two weeks after we record it. So, yeah, and I also never have anything to plug. Well, Dave has nothing right. to plug, but he does a great job on a gazillion different podcasts that we have. And if you want to, 
listen to Dave. You can listen to the Athletic NBA show. You can listen to Nerder. You can listen to Buds, any of the other shows that we have over there. Uh, mm-hmm. You can uh, subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark. Uh, and you can uh, you can get a full subscription to The Athletic that way. That's going to get you my work. It's going to get you all the other local teams in D.C. It's going to get you everything in NBA, everything in MLB, everything in every single league that we cover, every article that goes up on The Athletic, you will have it. And it's going to get you this podcast and every other podcast that we do ad-free on The Athletic app. Just go to theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark, and you can sign up there. Tell your friends about Wizards After Dark. Leave a review. Give us five stars. The written reviews always help. Uh, that is going to do it for this episode. Uh, I hope we we left you guys. You know what? I hope we left you guys more confused than you were coming into this because that's the whole point of this thing, right? We're the people who are supposed to know stuff, and yet we just talked for an hour about how nobody knows anything. So I hope we left all of you more confused <laughs> than the secret to life man it, it, listen it, the more you know the more you realize nobody knows shit it's it's amazing <laughs> no one knows anything including the people who sit around just doing wizards podcasts in their head all day anyway i will uh you know season starting up in after this podcast runs you know season starting up and only only a couple a couple of weeks after that i'll talk to you guys then As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.